0: Let's pray together. Oh, God, here we are in worship. Our hearts lifted up to you. Those hymns with new words swept us heavenward. We've come to experience your presence through the prayer you drew us near, through Ryan's Spot-on lesson to all of us. Thank you. And now with Carla and Trina and Ken, we pray the prayer they played. Be thou our vision, O Lord of our hearts. Not nothing be all else to us, save that thou art. Thou our best thought. By day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence, our light. Cast the vision for us now, dear God. In Your Word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I want to tell you a story to get us going. Carmen Gallo, in his book The Storyteller's Secret, frames that late afternoon, March 1983, two men standing on the terrace of a luxury apartment overlooking New York's Central Park, toe-to-toe. The sun is dipping in the west over the Hudson River. And there is energy between these two. The, The older man's 45 years old. He's a corporate, very successful corporate executive. PepsiCo. The young man, 26, dressed in blue jeans and a mock turtleneck, has been pushing the older guy to jump ship with his corporation, be born in a new venture, but he's lost, the young man. Absolutely no budging. No budging from the executive. And so now the young man is staring at his running shoes, staring at the toes of his running shoes, thinking, 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 I've lost, when suddenly his head jerks up and he blurts out, Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world?" Now, of course, everybody knows the fabled story of that moment when Steve Jobs, 26, John Scully, PepsiCo executive, 45, when the ignition of that question, as Scully later described it, a gut punch the ignition of that question blended these two into a fiery partnership that literally has changed the world. Hasn't it? Do you want to sell sugar water, or do you want to come with me and change the world for the better? Two years later, Steve Jobs. March 1983, two years later, Steve Jobs is fired. Twelve years after he's fired, Apple takes him back in his first staff meeting. Now, get this. In his first staff meeting with the Apple team, Steve Jobs speaks these words. Put them on the screen for you. Marketing is about values. This is a very complicated world. It's a very noisy world, and we're not going to get a chance to get people to remember much about us. No company is. And so we need to be really clear on what we want them to know about us. Our customers want to know who Apple is and what is it that we stand for. What we're about isn't making boxes for people to get jobs done, although we do that well. But Apple is about something more than that. Here it comes. Apple's core value is that we believe that people with passion can change the world for the better." End quote. We believe that people with passion can change the world for the better. You have to believe God believes that as well. I mean, take a look at the theme text that was assigned to me and us for this Fall Fellowship weekend. Open your Bible to to Isaiah, chapter 58. Isaiah, chapter 58, theme for this Fall Fellowship. Live holy. I tell you what, I found out uh, who, who uh, actually joined this text uh, to the theme. It's my friend June Price, our chaplain here. I said, hey, June, did you pick that theme, that, that text? It's a perfect fit. Watch this. Because in Isaiah 58, what, you know what's happening here? We have a soliloquy of God. He's doing all the talking, although he very adroitly quotes the people and buttressing his point. But the the fact is, you don't get the point with just this dynamite text. Let's read the text and see what, what this uh, sign high overhead has to do with these words of God. This is Isaiah 58. Open your Bible to Isaiah 58, verse 11. I'm in the NIV. Any Bible you have is fine. If you didn't bring a Bible, track this one, please. Pull the pew Bible out. It'll be page 500. Okay, God speaking. The Lord will guide you always... He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Now, what God has launched into, and we don't get this with just that text, is an intense quid pro quo. Conversation, You know, quip or crow, a uh, Latin this for that. God says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. We need to get a feel for that before this, before this promise. And so I'm going to ask you to do something we don't read uh, usually this much in a passage, but let's go back to verse 1, Isaiah 58. Go up to the top of the chapter. Let's read this. Let's get... Sense the drama, the tension mounting as God moves to our theme text for Fall Fellowship 2016. All right, verse one, God speaking, shouted aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, a shofar. Declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, God says, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? So he said, if, 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 if you do this, 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 then, here comes the quid pro quo, then you do that, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will come, will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Another quid pro quo, here it comes. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Then it's understood here. Then the Lord will guide you always. Our theme text. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Wow. God cuts to the chase. And did you notice he makes the very same point that Steve Jobs made? I'll put uh, Jobs' words on the screen for you. We believe that people with passion can change the world for the better. You know what? That sentence has Andrews University written all over. People with passion who change the world for the better. That sentence has the Seventh-day Adventist Church written all over it, people with a passion who change the world for the better. That even has a little old Pioneer Memorial written all over it, people with a passion who change the world for the better. That's what I believe about you, God declares. I believe my people with my passion can change the world for the better. And guess what? That's what it means. That's what it means to live holy. That's it. To live with passion. To make a difference. I mean, come on. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or come with me and change the world? That's what God's crying out here in Isaiah 58. Do you want to sit around and quibble over the sugar water of theological niceties and religious debates? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? That's clearly what live holy means. My people, with my passion, can change the world for the better. Oh, by the way, who in the world gets changed? Ah, Jesus said, the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You do it to them, you do it to me. You don't do it to them, you don't do it to me. That's, that's who he's just talked about in Isaiah 58 Isn't that right? Who gets changed? The poor lives matter people that Pastor Torres Last Sabbath, with passion preached about. Those are the people that God is talking about here. Who gets changed? The marginalized, the alienated, the disenfranchised, up the road from you, God says, and they are also in your midst. Concentrate on them. To follow God into that world, to live with passion, to make a difference, that's what it means to live holy. Our theme. Because... Live that way. And, oh, boy, does God come through with the promise. Now, this is writ large, our theme text of verse 11. Four divine quid pro quo promises that in themselves are a stirring portrait of God. I want to run these by you. See what you think. Verse 11, read it again. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Promise number one, four of these. Here comes promise number one. God says, I will guide you. I will guide you personally. I will guide you institutionally. And don't you just love that word? I will guide you always. I'm going to stay with you always. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you're going through now. No matter what, I will be there to guide you always. You know why? Because if... It's like that old uh, spiritual sings, If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. Oh, we sure do need him now. Sing it out. Oh, we sure do need him now. If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. We need him every day and all the way, all the way. We need... Oh, we're not <laughs> I tried. I saw Steve Zork over there. I figured he'd jump up. He just said... Hey, guys, that's where we are right now. We really need the Lord. We need the Lord. God says I got good news for you. I will guide you always. Live holy for me. Live holy with me. I'll guide you always. But there are four of these. That was number one. Here comes number two. I will satisfy you. In fact, I will satisfy your needs. In fact, I will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Because let's be honest. We all, everybody, no exception. We all experience droughts in our lives. Some of them are short-lived. Others can be long, dry, and debilitating. Some of you right now, perhaps, are going through the scorched, sun-scorched land professionally. hmm Everything keeps coming up dry, stale. Your career is no longer satisfying to you. Your job is no longer challenging. I'm going to satisfy your needs in that sun-scorched place you find yourself today. Some of you are going through the sun-scorched land in your marriage right now. Right now. It just, what happened? This was, this was here, and now it's gone. It's dry. It's brittle. It's, it's lifeless. Some of you are going through the sun-scorched land spiritually, morally the values that you once stood for, you have shoved to the side, and now there's nothing but burning sun and no water. God says, I will satisfy your needs. You turn to me, boy, girl. You turn to me, and I'll take care of you. Mm. I will satisfy your needs. And, oh, boy, I I have to slip this in. Because there is... I'll tell you, I go through these sun-scorched periods in my life. And there, when I do, there's a go-to text that God has shown me. He says, boy, you just keep coming back here. And I go back. I, I beat a beeline to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 because it's very interesting, and I want you to look this up, please. Jeremiah 17 and uh, this, this promise tacked to Isaiah 58:11. They're just like twins. I want you to see this. They're Jeremiah, I need you to see it in your own Bible. Jeremiah 17. We'll be right back. Jeremiah 17. Wow, look what God is saying. Sun-scorched land, I'll satisfy your needs. Watch this. Chapter 17, Jeremiah. Here it is. Yeah, I got this place marked up all over because I've been so many times back to this. Jeremiah 17, verse 7. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. God, do you know how long I've hit the sun scorched land? No big deal to me. You'd be like a tree planted by the water, roots out to the stream. Now, here come three negatives. Here they come. It does not fear when heat comes because heat comes. Sun-scorched land comes into every life at some point, professionally, morally, spiritually, merrily, financially. It'll come to you, but it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries. I love that. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I will take care of you. I will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land. Whatever it is you're going through right now, I will take care of you. Wow! <sighs> Come on. And by the way, this promise for living in a sun scorched land is a promise for America too. I don't know if you slept through the summer. America's in trouble. I'll tell you what America is facing. A sun-scorched land that is rapidly approaching spiritual drought and moral famine. The ancient prophet Amos predicted a day like this would come. God says, I want you to get this down so that when it comes, they'll know, I saw it coming. Amos, chapter uh, chapter 8. Verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to shining sea. And wander from north to east searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the perfect hour in this civilization's history to claim our legacy as the flagship daughter of Battle Creek College, founded in 1874. Let's claim it. And 3,000 students, my Lord, 3,000 students moving out into a sun scorched community, a sun scorched nation, a sun scorched planet. This is the hour. Live holy for me, God says. You live holy for me. I'll take care of you. I will guide you. I will satisfy you. Here comes number three. I will strengthen you. The King James reads, I will make fat your bones. Anybody here want fat bones? <laughs> God, you could have gotten our attention with something more than that. I'll make fat your bones. Of course, we missed the point. God's dealing, His promise, with the infrastructure, our personal infrastructure, our institutional infrastructure. God is saying, I will strengthen you from the inside out. Good news for those of you, and that you are here, for those of you who are burning the midnight oil to, bar- to balance your department's budgets. I will take care of you. I will strengthen that infrastructure. Good news for you who are trying to balance this congregation's budget. I will take care of you. I will strengthen that infrastructure. Good news for you who have been tasked to balance the budget of this university. I will take care of you, and I will strengthen your infrastructure. Live holy for me. Four profound promises from God on the eve, on the cusp of a new year. And here comes final promise number four. God says, I will flourish you. He said, Do I just read that? There's nothing about flourish in that. Are you kidding? The last two lines of verse 11, if they don't have flourish written all over them, then you tell me what they're all about. What are the last two lines? Put them on the screen. You shall be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never Fail. On the eve of this new year, God says, That's the future I have for you, Andrews University. You live wholly for me, and I will flourish you. I will flourish you like my favorite garden on earth. You will be fresh and thick and verdant. You will be a vegetable garden of red and yellow and orange and green and purple and brown and white in row after row of nature's tastiest delicacies. You will flourish with moral moral fruit. You will flourish with intellectual fruit. You will flourish with spiritual fruit. You will flourish because you're my garden, and I have a built-in sprinkler system that will keep you fresh. That's what that sign is all about. A built-in sprinkler system for this institution. Like a well-watered garden, like an artesian well, like a spring that never runs dry. And so where do I find a spring like that? The pretty woman asked the stranger with the dark eyes and the gentle smile. He, a Jew, sitting on the mossy lip of this well near Sychar, Samaria. Ken Geyer, in his wonderful book, Intimate Moments with the Savior, picks up the story with this beautiful word picture. I cannot be improved upon, so I'm going to read it to you, but so that you don't get bored with me reading it, I'm going to put a picture you have never seen in your life of Jesus and the woman at the well on the screen right now. So you look at that picture. And let me read this to you. The Palestinian sun glares its impartial eye upon both this nameless Samaritan woman and upon the Savior of the world. Through sheer curtains of undulating heat she comes. She, too, is weary, not so much from the water jar she carries on her head as from the emptiness she carries in her heart. The torrents of passion, once swift in her life, have now run their course. She's weathered and worn, her face eroded by the gullies of a spent life. That she comes at noon, the hottest hour of the day, whispers a rumor of her reputation. She's gone from man to man like one lost in the desert, sunstruck and delirious. She comes to Jacob's well, her empty water jar, a telling symbol of her life. As her eyes meet the Savior's, he sees within her a cavernous aching, a cistern in her soul that will forever remain empty unless he fills it. Yet to her, an anonymous woman with a failed life, he gives the most profound discourse in Scripture on the subject of worship. Worship. But equally remarkable is what Jesus doesn't say. He states her past and present marital status, but makes no reference to her sin. He gives no call to repent. He presents no structured plan of salvation. He offers no prayer. But with the words, I who speak to you am He, Jesus brings her back to face the Giver and His remarkable gift, living water. Not a wage to be earned, not a prize to be won, but a gift to be received to her. This stranger was first simply a Jew, then sir, then a prophet. And then she sees him for who he really is, Messiah. And with her heart overflowing with living water, she starts to run slowly at first, then as fast as her new legs will take her. So let's end with Jesus' incredible offer to the woman at the well. Turns out his offer is a line drawn right out of Isaiah fifty eight, eleven. Take a look at this. Kristan Arthur new provost just read it a moment ago. I want you to end in John 4, please. John 4. John 4. We'll pick up the narrative. In John 4, verse 11. Sir! Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus answered, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up. To eternal life via the, uh, the artesian well ladies and gentlemen you have just met him he is the Lord Jesus Christ a spring that never runs dry in fact he is so much the artesian well that even when he dies on the cross the water is still flowing he's made every provision for you and me to live holy for him the water still flows Desire of Ages, on this moment, Jesus did not convey the idea that merely one draft, one drink of the water of life would suffice the receiver. He who tastes of the love of Christ will continually long for more, but he seeks for nothing else. The riches, honors, and pleasures of the world do not attract her. The constant cry of her heart is, More of thee! Every human resource and dependence will fail. The cisterns will be emptied. The pools become dry. But our Redeemer is an inexhaustible fountain, an artesian well. We may drink and drink again and ever find a fresh supply. He in whom Christ dwells has within himself the fountain of blessing, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. From this source we may draw strength and grace sufficient for all our needs. Amen. And so, Andrews University, this is the gospel truth for us. This is the gospel truth for you and me, and that is we will only live holy when we drink deeply of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.